Welcome to our GSP Ace of the Day segment, a show where I'll offer my picks for each and every day of the 2023 Australian Open. We have our first set of results to analyze here on this show. Superficially was not the greatest start to the year's first major. Now we have three outstanding futures bets remaining. Iga to win her quarter. Iga to win the women's singles title. Djokovic to win the men's singles title. Each of those bets, as I alluded to, remains unfinished. In terms of our day one picks, we go one and four overall, down 0.59 units for the day. However, directionally, I still feel pretty good coming off of day number one. Let's analyze those five aces quickly. You look at our winner, shout out to Denis Shapovalov, took him four sets. He still covered a six and a half game spread against Dushan Lajevic. Shout out to Francis Tiafo, took him four sets, but he still covered against Daniel Altmaier. That was an unequivocal win, quarter of a unit, to yield 0.41 in return. In terms of the losses, Look, both Madison Keys and Elena Rabakina ultimately won their matches. Rabakina actually covered her three-and-a-half game spread against Elisabetta Cochioretto. Unfortunately, Madison Keys beats Blinkova. She beats her in three sets. She wins by three total games. We're half a game off on that second parlay. I don't feel awful about that. Similarly with Danielle Collins, we took her minus three and a half games over Kalinskaya. She had a million breakpoint chances in the middle of that second set, wasn't able to convert. She ultimately wins the match in three, but only wins by two games. As such, we don't cover. Still, directionally, I like the path we chose Look, Ernesto Escobedo also had chances in set number one. He drops that set, goes down two sets to love, wins the third, but ultimately falls in four to Taro Daniel. Ebing Wu, same deal, had a million first set opportunities, wasn't able to capitalize. He falls 7-5 in the fifth to Quarantine Mute. No terrible losses for us on day one. Again, directionally, I feel everything was on the proper course. That said... I put my money where my mouth is. One, four, and three down 0.59 units is an unacceptable start. Hopefully, day two picks up the slack, and then we keep rolling here on day number three of this segment. And a quick reminder to all of you listeners, what I will be doing here today on this show is via our friends at the DraftKings Sportsbook. I will offer a look at where I see the most value on the board when looking at the Australian Open day three matches. Of course, I will do my best to preview as many of the matches as I can throughout the course of today's show. Not going to analyze all of them, but of course, we're going to look at things like money lines, game spreads, over-unders to offer a feel of how I see day three's matches all unfolding. Of course, sticking with our theme here to start this 2023 Australian Open, I have five more aces for all of you listeners. Early round action, so many singles matches on the board. Why not take a chance on a few of them? It certainly offers me the opportunity to speak about many of them with more depth. So five more aces for all of you listeners today. I want to run through all of them, then offer my thoughts on the rest of the board. With that said, let's get to it. Here are my thoughts on Australian Open day number three, my GSP aces of the day. Let's start on the women's side where I have two matches that have caught my eye in particular. If you listened to our preview content in the lead up to this first Grand Slam of the season, you know I was very high on the 
chances of Petra Kvitova at this 2023 Australian Open. Of course, Kvitova was the 2019 finalist at this event, and the lefty, I thought, played really good tennis throughout the course of her first two weeks of action. Of course, Kvitova was able to suit up for the Czech Republic in United Cup play. She dealt Jessica Pagula her one loss at that event. Kvitova then goes to Adelaide, reaches the quarterfinals, wins over Rabakina, a good first set, 7-6 over Chin Wen before Fortune when was forced to retire and then, you know, a tough out three and six to Daria Kasatkina. I didn't think Kavitova played her best tennis in that match, but still overall in the five matches that she played, I thought she played four really good ones. And you know the thing for Petra Kavitova, when she's healthy, when she's serving well, she remains extraordinarily dangerous in any draw that she plays. You look for Petra Kavitova over the course of the last 52 weeks, the record hasn't been outstanding. Kavitova currently 31 and 18, winning 63% of her matches in her last 52 weeks. That's 4% below her career average. However, I would point to the the serving percentage and how frequently she's holding serve. And you look at her hold percentage, 74.4% last year, 81% through her first five matches of this season. The point is, even with the slight decline, her career average is 75.4, slight decline last season, she's still a top 10 server on the WTA Tour. And the key thing and why I keep alluding to those first five matches is she looked healthy. She looked fit. And that really hasn't been the case for much of the past 18 months. You look for Kvitova, who in round number two is going to take on Angelina Kalanina. Look, Kalanina's good. You know, when when you watch Kalanina, the 25-year-old from Ukraine, play, she's just a good athlete. Like, again, sneaky pop on the forehand, on the backhand, moves as just about as well as anyone in and out of the corners, can generate that pace when she's pushed into the corner. Now, the serve can be a liability. And you look for Kalanina in her career. She's held 61.7% of the time in tour-level matches. The WTA average, of course, of a top 50 player is 70.5%. So healthy uh, amount below that average. That second serve is a liability. That said, again, Kalanina pushes you in each and every rally once she gets the match started. 38-22 and 22 throughout the course of her last 52 weeks. That said, you look for Kalanina in her career, 18-27 uh, and 27 against the top 50 players. You look for her at slams against the top 50, 2-6. She beat Para at last year's U.S. Open, so that's a fringe top 50 player. Then beat Kerber back at the 2021 Roland Garros. Now, she's never... Formerly faced Petra Kvitova. They were supposed to play at last year's U.S. Open. Kalanina withdrew, but you look for Kalanina in her career. 35-20 and 20 against lefties. 6-4 and four against lefties ranked inside the top 100, but again, no direct comparison as she hasn't played Kvitova. You look for Kalanina in her career at slams uh, against top 50 players. Again, 2-6 and six overall is Kalanina at the slams against the top 50. So, I mean, look... From a matchup perspective, what does Kvitova do well? Hits the big serve, gets you on the move, forces you to play defensive. Kalanina is a good mover. She's good on the run. She's not elite on the run. You know, the improvisational skills aren't the bread and butter for Kalanina, who wants to be playing with her sneaky pop through her ground strokes. Very Tommy Paul-esque in how sneaky that pop is with her athleticism uh, from when she's in the center of the court. 
Kvitova won't allow her to do that. And again, I think the biggest issue in this matchup when I look for Kalanina, who will push Kvitova when she's able to land a first serve, when she's able to hit a big first ball from the center of the court, connect on a second serve return, which again, her backhand is well suited to do when Kvitova tries to play the slice out wide on the ad side. But I just think that second serve is going to be a liability. And I know I said that about Kvitova heading into the Kasekina match, but Kalanina, again, holds just 61% of the time. It's a very looping, hanging curveball for Kvitova to just take free swings at. And coming off of a loss in the quarterfinals against Kasekina, she's had a few days rest, a few days to train, recenter herself. Again, I thought Kvitova came out of the gate swinging here in 2023. I think Petra Kvitova wins this match comfortably. You look at the odds, according to our friends at DraftKings. And again, it's sneaky close in this battle. They don't hate... Kalanina in this matchup, who they have at plus 165, Kvitova currently sitting at minus 200. As such, you look at the game spread, you can get Petra Kvitova to win this match by minus two and a half games. And again, we got burned by the game count last time by Collins, by Keys. I would point out they were three and a half, so we're getting an extra game here from Kvitova. She just has to win if in straight sets better than six and six in if in three sets. As long as she doesn't get blown out in a set, she probably covers that two and a half game spread. Again, if you take the two and a half games down to minus 135, it's better value than the money line, which is minus 200. You look at the tennis abstract singles forecast, they have Kvitova as a 71.5% favorite, which is pretty comfortable. You look for Petra Kvitova in her career against opponents ranked outside the top 50, which I believe Kalina, again, currently is ranked outside the top 50 in her career at slams against these opponents. Uh, and Helena Kalanina, oh, excuse me, who's currently a top 50 opponent, but just inside. Kvitova is 82 and 20. You know, she typically beats who she's supposed to beat, especially when it's not at Roland Garros uh, throughout the course of her careers at the slams. And again, Kvitova is a finalist at the Australian Open before. She's had success in multiple seasons uh, in Australia. In fact, you look for her in Australia uh, over the course of the past few years. Kvitova's had a pretty good amount of success. You look for Petra Kvitova, you know, who's made the quarterfinals 2011. She made the semifinals in 2012. She made the finals 2019, quarterfinals 2020. I just think this is a good matchup for Petra Kvitova. I think Petra Kvitova will have time with her weapons to get into uh, her power tennis. And I think this match will be played ultimately on her terms. Give me Kvitova to advance in this match for what it's worth. By the way, Kalanina in her warm-up events loses first round Adelaide 6-6 and to Azarenka after qualifying there. Makes quarterfinals Hobart before getting knocked out three sets by Kennan. Again, I think it's going to be a good match. I understand why the line is close. I think Kvitova's power wins out in straight sets. I just think she's going to have too many looks on the second serve. And then, again, because she is a top 10 server, I think it's going to allow her at a minimum to keep pace. Give me Kvitova to advance comfortably to legitimize my sneaky candidate to make a deep run at this Australian Open event take. Uh, Kvitova, minus two and a half games, minus 135. I will say, because we did get a bit burned on day number one, because I don't know day two's results yet, I'm staying fairly conservative. We're just going to go 0.25 units, quarter of a unit again, to win 0.18 in return. That's ace of the day number one, ace of the day number two. Again, on the women's side, again involves a power tennis player. And I do think that's another thing to emphasize. 
through the first day of play, and it's only one day, things look fast out there. Like, again, it's and it's only going to get hotter. Ball's going to fly through the air. The conditions are fairly quick here on most of these courts in Australia. I think that benefits Kvitova. I think that benefits Katie McNally as well, who's minus two and a half games tomorrow over uh, Katarina Baindil. It would be minus 120 odds. You look at the money line for what it's worth for Katie McNally entering this matchup. She is the favorite currently, minus 175, two Baindils, plus 145, according to Tennis Abstract, Katie McNally. A 64.9% favorite uh, over Bandel in this match. Of course, McNally ended the 2022 season as strongly as just about anyone out there on the WTA Tour. She goes ahead and qualifies in Ostrava, then beats Blinkova, beats Mukova, before playing a very competitive 4-4 four four match against Sviantek in the quarterfinals. She takes that success, makes a semifinal at a 60K where she beats Linda Naskova, who we saw make the final of Adelaide last week. She makes a quarterfinal. Uh, at a 125K, and then, of course, wins on the indoor hard courts of Midland, beats Kennan in three sets, beats Friedsome three and two. She also got a very confident five and one win in round number one over Pagosi, a match where she did not serve well to start the match, but ultimately found her rhythm as the match progressed, and in particular, found her rhythm on serve in set number two, a five and one win again for McNally in that first round match. This is a bet on the weaponry of Katie McNally, who does have an elite serve, who does have an elite forehand, an elite ability to move forward. Obviously, we've seen her compete in multiple double slam finals, and that aggressive mentality translates really well with her athleticism onto the singles court. Now, she can be a little bit aggressive as a returner, as such. You know, the returns can spray at times, and that break percentage will dip. But she makes clean contact on that return just about every time. And I think over the last six months, what's been most impressive is her ability to rein things in and be a little bit more disciplined and a little bit more choosy in her shot selection. You look for Katarina Bandel, of course, uh, 28 years old, 95 in the world. Bandel's played pretty well of late as well. You look for Bandel, who is currently 38 and 29 in her last 52 weeks, had a bunch of success at the ITF level last year, making finals at 60K, 100K, 125K. You know, Bandel, a first round win, three sets, 6 1 in the third, three hour match against Camilla Rakimova. Bandel served well. She's definitely got some pace. Uh, there's going to be a lot of plus one tennis. It's not going to be the longest points in this match. But again, McNally coming off of a straight set, hour and a half win over Pagosi. Bandel coming off of a three-hour slugfest. I think McNally's form's been a little bit stronger of late. I think McNally's serve forehand. I trust a little bit more than I do Bandel's right now, though I do think Bandel probably puts more returns in play still. Give me Katie McNally to advance in this match. Again, a 65% favorite according to Tennis Abstract. I know it's only minus 175, which wouldn't be the worst money line to A, tease something, uh, excuse me, parlay something with, or B, maybe just lay the juice and bet on its own. But again, I feel like if McNally wins, she covers the two and a half game spread. And I know I said that on day one. Hopefully, I, I know I said that on day two. Hopefully, it's paid off for then. I'm taking Katie McNally over Bandel. I just like her weapons a little bit better. I like her ability to drive through the backhand a little bit better, even if Bandel is the more consistent of the two. Give me McNally. Minus two and a half games. We'll take the minus 120 odds. Quarter of a unit to win 0.2 in return. Those are my two individual women's bets on the day. I also have two individual bets on the men's side. Let's go there now and talk about Yoshihito Nishioka, who simply put 
has been a top 50 guy, if not a top 30 guy, pretty unequivocally since the start of the summer hardcourt stretch last year. You look for Nishioka, who since August 1st, the start of the City Open, 20 and 9 overall is Nishioka during that stretch of time. You look for Yoshihi, reached the final in Obviously, at the City Open, he wins the title in Seoul, wins over Rude, Evans, and Shapovalov in that event. Quarterfinalist in Antwerp, semifinalist in Adelaide with wins over Runa, McDonald, and in very much in form, Alexi Popperin. Uh, a first-round straight set win that was very impressive, 4-2-5, and five, made it look routine over a very physical and always tough out in Michael Emer. Again, Yoshi's been this guy over the course of the past year, 46 and 24 overall in his last 52 weeks. I know that success started at the challenger level last year, but 29 since August 1st. He's 11 and 2 against opponents ranked outside the top 50 during that stretch of time. And that's what he has tomorrow, taking on Dalibor uh, uh, Sivrakina, which is how I heard the chair umpire pronounce it. So that's what I'm going with for now. I apologize if that's butchering. And look, the 20-year-old from the Czech Republic is playing the best tennis of his career. You look for him last season, was able to make four finals. His first two, uh, or excuse me, two of them at the challenger level. Uh, came on very strong at the end of last season, was able to come through qualifying good wins over Jubb, Kicker, and Reedy uh, before knocking out Moon are in straight sets in round number one. His first win at a slam gets him inside the top 200. It's been a phenomenal event for Sivrakina. Um, but, and I apologize for the stuttering. I'm just not entirely sure how to pronounce his name. And you can hear the lack of confidence in my pronunciation. That said, this is the sort of guy who I just think Yoshi cleans his clock because watching the 20 year old play. He doesn't have the biggest weapons. He has great creativity. He's great feel. You know, again, moves his forehand really well around the court, gets outside that ball well to create angle, plays the drop shot, the slice really well on the backhand wing. But he just let Munar beat himself. And I just don't see any world where Nishioka allows that to happen. Nishioka is more creative. Nishioka is more physical. Nishioka has more pop. There may be many breaks of serve throughout the course of this match, but I just think Yoshi's weapons are bigger. I think he's fitter, and I don't know how his opponent's going to hurt him. And you look according to the tennis abstract odds, Yoshi's a 96.5% favorite, according to our friends at Tennis Abstract. Now you look according to DraftKings, there's actually been some movement. He's gone from minus 350 to minus 370. You look for Nishioka. Hopefully the game spread's still available. Indeed it is. You can get him minus five and a half games tomorrow, which again is a 4-4-4 victory or better. Five, five, and five, one break per set. Minus five and a half games is minus 135. Again, that's down from the money line of minus 375. And again, I just don't know how Sivrakina ultimately goes about hurting Nishioka. I think he can hang around. I just think Yoshi's better at everything. And I think that five and a half game spread, one break per, per set or one lopsided set, I think Nishioka handles that comfortably. And so I see value in this pick. Give me Nishioka, minus five and a half games, minus 135. I should put half a unit on that, truth be told, but we're just going to go quarter of a unit for now to win 0.18. Again, I feel very good about that pick, and that's not meant to be disrespectful of the 20-year-old from the Czech Republic. It's just, again, the fact that Nishioka has clearly been a top 50 guy over the course of the past six months and right now sits at a career high of number 33. As a result of that success, that's ace of the day, number three, ace of the day, number four, it's a risk. And there were multiple risks I considered taking for this fourth ace. 
it, you look at the odds, Karen Hatchinov, minus four and a half games over Jason Kubler. I thought Hatchinov, after a tough first set, looked really good in two in, sets two and three in his first round match. I thought he looked pretty good in the first two weeks of the season, two quarterfinal losses, Medvedev, Draper, respectively. I also thought, again, he's coming off of a U.S. Open semifinal. It feels like this could be the year where Hatchinov ends his title drought. But it's always testy. I did learn on day number one, always tough to pick against the Aussies on home soil. Kubler's a tough out physically, moves the ball well around the court well, absorbs pace well. Again, younger me hops on that line. Four and a half games, Hatchinov's going to win that match in straight sets, right? Well, that's the vomit zone, so that's a stay away. Chapo's minus five and a half over Daniel. Tiafo minus five and a half over Shang. I thought about running back the exact same parlay. I just don't want to test my luck with the gods. I'm going to go with Hubie, minus four and a half over Lorenzo Sanego. You look according to the tennis abstract odds, Hubie Hercats, a 76.5% favorite in this match, according to our friends at DraftKings. Hercats uh, currently sitting as a minus 370 favorite in his matchup against the talented veteran Italian. Look, Hubie looked great. 6-2-2 over Martinez in round number one, won 90% of his first serve points, hit double-digit aces, did not face a break point in the hour 49 of play. Look, the Senego forehand is bigger than the Martinez forehand. He's got a weapon forehand-to-forehand with his first serve that can put that Hubie forehand under pressure. And, of course, that's still the weak spot for Hercots, attacking that forehand with pace. That said, you look for Hubie against opponents ranked outside the top 20 over the course of the past 52 weeks, 35 and 13. And like some of the losses, Chorich, team, yes, a loss to Sinego indoors in Italy, 6-4 and four, uh, at the end of last season, or excuse me, in France. The other thing I would say is it's really hard to beat a player t- twice in a row. And I understand Sinego has beaten Hubie in his career. You look at the career head-to-head uh, between the two of them. Hubie Hurkacz taking on uh, Lorenzo Sinego overall, according to our friends at Tennis Abstract. Hubie Hurkacz has played him six times. He's 2-4 and four in his career. Uh, lost the two matches that were played on clay. So 2-2 two and two overall when they've played on hard courts. Last beat him, Auckland 2020. Sinego, two wins, Vienna and France. So both indoor wins for what it's worth for Sinego. I just think it's Hubie's time. I think he looked more confident in that first round of the, uh, of that first round, excuse me, of this Australian Open. I also think Hubie played pretty well throughout the course of his United Cup run. Wins over Bublik, Wawrinka, three sets with Berrettini, six and six with Fritz in a match where he didn't get broken. Like, again, that's good practice run for Hubie Hurkacz entering this Australian Open event and, it's a bet for Hubie. It's also a little bit of a bet against Sinego. You look for Sinego, who at one point last season to end the year lost four consecutive matches. Then, uh, obviously, uh, you look for him. He has lost, let's see, he's lost seven of his last 11. He gets a four-set win over Borges in round number one. He also goes unbroken on serve. This match will be tight. I could see it featuring a breaker. I could see it going four sets. I just think Hubie pulls it out. And I think he covers the four-and-a-half game spread. I think he finds his way to a break of serve, maybe even two in this match. And again, 6-4-4, four, and four, that gets the job done. 6-4-5, and five, that gets the job done. It'll be tight. This one will be a squeaker. I'm asking for some punishment. Again, Sinego, 4-2 and two in his career against Hercots. He has the pace to play through that Hercots forehand. But I think Kubi's going to be ready. 
I think physically I just trust him a little bit more than I do Sinego right now, who lost first-round matches to Draper and Medvedev, respectively, in his first matches of this season. Give me Hoopy, minus four and a half games over Sinego, minus 130, quarter of a unit to win .19 in return. That's ace of the day number four. Ace of the day number five is, of course, a parlay because it's early in the event. How can we not throw a parlay out there for all of you listeners? Let's go. I mean, I'm going to keep it simple. Cam Norrie, minus six and a half games over the 30-year-old Frenchman, Constant Lestien. Norrie, the lefty, yes, he lost to Gasquet, but he is just a rock right now physically and with how hot it's going to be in Australia, unless you have some sort of weapon to put some pressure on Norrie. I just don't see people outlasting him in this heat. And that's what Lestien wants to do. He wants to grind you down. He wants to drop shot, lob you, try to play death by a thousand paper cuts. I just think Norrie is unfazed by a paper cut. I think, again, I don't think Lestian has the weapons to constantly pressure Nori. Give me Nori, even at minus six and a half games, which means he has to win one lopsided set. It can't just be four, four, and four, a single break per set. I think Nori is going to put the beat down on Lestian. Give me Nori to advance in straight sets comfortably. We'll take him minus six and a half games over Lestian, minus 165. It's probably parlay that with Bianca Andreescu, who I was unsure of coming into day number one. And then she beats Boshkova two and four and looked damn good doing it, played aggressive, but was also able to play defense, extend points, work the rally, work the corner-to-corner tendencies of Boshkova, at least survive them. I like Andrescu in her second-round matchup, like taking on the qualifier Buxa. I just don't think Buxa has the weapons to consistently hang with Andrescu. I think Andrescu puts her foot on the gas in this match. Give me Andrescu minus four and a half games at minus 170. You parlay that with Nori, plus 150 at five odds. I like that. I feel very good about each of these players coming out of round number one. So you know what? For the first time this event... Let's throw half a unit on it. Half a unit on that Nori Andrescu game spread parlay, plus 155, half a unit to win 0.77 in return. Those are your five aces of the day. Now, before we end the show, I want to look at the rest of the board. What do we have to look forward to from a matchup perspective? Certainly, I think there are going to be some gems, and we have what? 16 singles matches on the women's side tomorrow. Of those 16, I could see nine of them going three sets. It starts with the blockbuster that obviously I don't want to place a single wager on. Goff versus Radakanu. The match is going to be physical. Radakanu doesn't have an obvious weapon to hurt Goff with, play through her forehand with. Goff is going to be able to move forward as she has done so successfully through these first few weeks of 2023. But Radakanu's an athlete. She's going to be able to hang with Goff physically. She's going to be able to play backhand to backhand with Goff. Boy, are those exchanges going to be fun. And Radakanu is going to be able to handle the heaviness of that Goff forehand. Take that high loopy ball early on the rise, redirect the spin, and try to beat her to the spot. Over two and a half sets is plus 100. If you're going to wager on the match, I would take the over over anything else, pun intended. That one's fun. I think Diane Schneider, the talented 18-year-old lefty who's supposed to go to NC State, she's got weapons, and I look forward to her match with Maria Sakari. I think Sakari wins. I think it's going to be close. Over two and a half sets, plus 125. Over in games, you can get good odds on as well. That's a fun one to keep an eye on. Chin Wen versus Para, just because Para sometimes does that. Keys, Shin Yu, who knows what the talented young Chinese player is capable of. Rabakana Yuvan, maybe. Ostapanko, after looking so good for Yastr- against Yastremska, you feel like there's got to be something coming up against Bondar. 
The oddsmakers love Julin way more than I do, which is why I keep my eye on the plus 110 odds over two and a half sets. Mukova played better than Collins in round number one, plus 115 for that match to go three. Collins a little bit banged up, so that one scares me. And then I know I'm taking Kvitova, but over two and a half sets, if you want to hedge, is plus 110. Not a bad number there. In terms of the spreads I like, Azarenka, minus five and a half games over Podoroska. Again, she'd have to win three and three or better, but what does Podoroska do to hurt Azarenka in that match? I'm not sure. Kostyuk, minus four and a half games, minus 215. I almost threw it in the parlay as well, but I'm just still a little tentative despite how good she looked in week one in Adelaide and then against Anisimova in round one here. Pagula, minus four and a half. That's a respect to Sasnovich. I'm staying away. Kurchikova, minus four and a half over Burel. I just want to see it one more time from her. Keys, minus four and a half. Rabakina, minus four and a half. Too much respect for Yuvon. Chin Wen, minus three and a half. Again, Para just always scares me. Schneider, plus five and a half is too much. Radakanu, plus five and a half is too much. Sasnovich, even plus six and a half. I just think... She's a slightly worse version of Pagula. So that match to me feels like a three and three or through and through. Those are my other thoughts on the women's side. On the men's side, look, if Greek Spore and Botic doesn't go at least four sets, we didn't get our money's worth. So that match feels like an overplay. Harris versus Fucevic, both coming off of five set matches. I think Harris is better. But keep an eye on that match to go over. Sarundalo Mute, that one's just going to get weird. Take the over there. Hatchinov Kubler over. Watnuki, too much respect for his successful run of late. I'd even go over, especially with how low the number is, 33 and a half games against Korda. If that match goes four, which I think it will, you hit the over. And I think Korda wins, but again, too much respect for the baseline level of Watnuki. Shang Tiafo would be a fun one to have the over on just because I want to watch a lot of that match. Tiafo's better, but Shang lefty has weapons sort of weapons that can put that Tiafo forehand under some pressure. So that one's going to be interesting. 33 and a half games, minus 120. That feels like a bargain. And then Nadal Mackey McDonald. Mackey's an athlete. He's a primetime performer. He always pushes the envelope in Australia. Over 30 and a half games. He has to play one tie break set and keep things close elsewhere. Minus 125. That feels like a bargain. I think Rafa wins, but I think Rafa wins in four sets. So again, I like the over there. Sinner minus seven and a half over Echeverry. If he looks like he did against Edmund, that feels feasible. FAA minus six and a half over Moulton. FAA found his form at the end against Pospisil. The problem is Mulcan, not Moulton, excuse me, Mulcan. It was corrected in my notes. Um, lefty just can stretch FAA in uncomfortable ways, so I'm a little hesitant there. I already mentioned Chapeau Tiafo. Boy, would it be fun to parlay them again at minus five and a half games. Hatchinoff, minus four and a half. He should beat Kubler. Will he is another story. Again, I would lean Harris, minus a half game over Fuchovic. Lehechka, minus two and a half over Chris Eubanks. I like Chris too much to bet against him, but I would take Lehechka there. And Mackey, plus eight and a half games. I just don't think Nadal's going to blow him out in that sort of fashion. You know, Chin Wen's money line over Para. Teichman money line. She should beat Ju Lin. Maybe a parlay those. Korda, Hercots, Nishioka, Hatchnov, all entertaining money lines to keep in mind as well. But that's your look at day number three of this 2023 Australian Open. Again, glass is half full. I know we're one, four, and three overall, down 0.59 units, but we're going to win it back. We're going to end things in the positive. We're going to get things going in the correct direction. A quick recap of day three's aces. Let's take Petra Kvitova, minus two and a half games over Kalanina, minus 135, quarter of a unit. 
to win 0.18. We'll take Katie McNally, minus two and a half games over Katarina Bindel, minus 120, quarter of a unit to win 0.2. Nishioka, minus five and a half games over Sivrakina, minus 135, quarter of a unit to win 0.18. Hercots, minus four and a half games over Sinego, minus 130, 0.25 units to win 0.19 in return. And then a game spread parlay. Nori, minus six and a half. Andrescu, minus four and a half. You parlay them together, plus 155 odds, half a unit to win 0.77 in return. With that said, of course, a shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the of an energy job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. Shout out as well uh, to all of you listeners who continue to tune in. If you're looking for recap content, the mini break podcast feed is, of course, the place for you with all of that said for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westoff, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Those are the picks for day three of the 2023 Australian Open. With that in mind, you know what we say. May the odds be ever in your favor. Good luck, everyone. Thank you.